0: I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's start this morning with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would write its eternal truths on all of our hearts. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey what your word teaches us. Your word shows us how to conform to your image and your likeness, and that's what you call us to do in Christ be conformed to jesus so lord today through the power of your word and the power of your holy spirit conform us to your word lord make us holy even as you lord our god are holy these things i pray in christ's name amen well, if you have your bibles with you this morning turn with me well actually we're looking at Deuteronomy 5 18 just one little verse there the seventh uh, commandment Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery we're not going to stay there Uh, I want you to actually turn to Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to be taking from that and going there and you'll see why here in a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, I'll be looking at verses 18 through 24 this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 2 in the Pew Bible, page number 2 there in the Pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, just please take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. Today we're continuing in our study on the Ten Commandments as we're walking through the book of Deuteronomy in general. We're in the Ten Commandments now we 've been taking each commandment one by one, and the ten commandments you 'll remember are general stipulations they are general stipulations in the the covenant between God and Israel they're general stipulations, and these general stipulations are intended to uh, en- envelop or encompass a lot of specific applications so they're general ideas, general principles that can be applied to many things in life so and we got have to keep that in mind as we're going through them. As we've gone through the Ten Commandments, we've looked at the first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me. And we said that had to do with God's authority. God's authority will have no other authorities over the Lord our God. Number two is you shall make no carven images. No carven images that had to do with God's dignity. Right? We're not to make a carved image of something less than God to represent God because that that just that degrades Him. And so we're not to do that. We're to respect and revere God's dignity. Commandment number three is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which has to do with our commitment to revere God as holy, to uphold His reputation and his name the fourth commandment is to keep the sabbath day holy and that has to do with god's rights and privileges and certainly god has the right to have a day of our week dedicated to him to focus on him to worship and praise him to gather as a church that's not the only right and pri- privilege god has but it, it is it is at least that right that's where it begins, at the very least. And then, as we move to five, those had to do with our relationship with God. As we move to to the fifth commandment, they start to show us our relationship with one another. Uh, the fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother, which has to do with human authority now, and those authorities that God has appointed in the world governing authorities respecting and revering governing authorities under god god is still the ultimate authority but he has provided other authorities governing authorities in our lives and it starts in the home with mama and daddy they're our first governing authorities and we learn to respect human authority at home honoring father and mother the sixth commandment thou shalt not murder has to do with human dignity and reverence for life, respecting people's lives, guarding, protecting, and upholding human life. And today we come to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And this again has to do with human dignity, uh, and this has to do with human dignity and purity, human dignity and purity. Uh, particularly in this instance, sexual purity. Although it can broaden beyond sexual purity, it certainly has to do with sexual purity. When we think about the concept of adultery in the Bible, uh, biblical adultery is a sexual relationship that breaks the covenantal bond between husband and wife. That's what adultery is. It's a sexual relationship that breaks the covenantal bond, breaks the bounds of marriage. But this commandment applies to more than just adultery. That's the general stipulation. The general stipulation, you shall not commit adultery. But when we get down to the specifics of this commandment, the focus of the commandment is is respecting human dignity by maintaining that purity, maintaining sexual purity. In fact, I would suggest to you that this commandment could be stated positively as this respect human dignity by maintaining sexual purity respect human dignity by maintaining sexual purity and we'll see this develop as we go through today's message but that's what it's dealing with respecting human dignity by maintaining purity sexual purity so How is sexual purity maintained? How is sexual purity maintained? How do we accomplish that? Well, here's the answer. Sexual purity is maintained when sexual intimacy is experienced in and confined to the covenant of marriage. Now, let me say that again. Sexual purity is maintained when sexual intimacy is experienced in and confined to the covenant of marriage that's completely countercultural absolutely countercultural because our our culture doesn't withhold the They don't maintain the the bonds of marriage, right? Sex is not something that just takes place in marriage. Sex is something that you start early and, and you keep on doing, right? It's something that everyone should experience. But God, who gave us sex, says that sex is to be experienced in and maintained or contained to the bounds of marriage. So, now I'm, as I'm talking about sexual intimacy today, let me define that. Sexual intimacy, a, as I'm using it today, some people might have a different idea, but this is how I'm meaning the term today sexual intimacy. I mean that that's any thought, word, or deed of a sexual nature, right? So we're not just talking about the act of sex itself we're talking about any thought word or deed of a sexual nature that is to be confined to the bounds of marriage. It includes both the physical act and emotional connection as well. So with that in mind I want us to to take a moment to recognize some important truths about sexual intimacy because we don't want to lose sight of this right we don't want to lose sight of this here's some important truths about sexual intimacy that we need to make sure we understand before we we dig into this much much further number one sex is a wonderful and gracious gift from god sex is a wonderful and gracious gift from god sex is not ugly or dirty or something that is shameful when it is maintained in the right context it is a gracious and wonderful gift from god we need to always remember that as a wonderful and gracious gift number two as a wonderful great and gracious gift from god sex is a prime target for satan it is a prime target for satan satan loves nothing more than to take the good and wonderful gifts from God and pervert them and twist them into a shameful thing. And so, from the very beginning, Satan has used sex as a way to tempt people and lead people away from God's way of, of life. So, Satan loves to pervert what is good and right and wonderful from God and pervert it into something that is sinful and shameful and destructive to the soul and third we need to realize that sex is only good and wonderful and even beneficial when it is exercised according to god's design that's key that is to say that when it is exercised and confined to its god-ordained context the context of marriage so today with all those in mind I want us to consider the context of sexual purity. The context of sexual purity as we consider four characteristics, four characteristics of the God ordained context of sexual purity that is marriage. Four char- characteristics of the God ordained context of sexual purity the bond of marriage. And for these four characteristics, then we go to Genesis chapter 2, right? If we're going to understand adultery and how not to commit adultery, we need to understand the right context of of sex itself. So Genesis chapter 2 gives us that context. Genesis chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 24 this morning. So as we, and I'm just going to work through it, I'm not going to read read it all out at one time, but you just stay there, and, and we're going to work through this text. First we notice that sexual purity is maintained in the context of a complementary relationship. Sexual purity is maintained in the context of a complementary relationship look at genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 23 then the lord said it is not good that man should be alone this is on the sixth day right the seven days of creation the week of creation this is on the sixth day then the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him notice that god said here's adam adam was the first man created the first person created and god looked at adam and said it's not fit that this man should be alone this he, he needs a helper right he needs someone who is fit for him now notice what it says now out of the ground the lord god had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name then man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him right a dog wouldn't do it a cat wouldn't do it none of these other animals were a helper fit for man so She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Right? She is like me. She is similar to me, but yet different. Right? We, we see in the whole creation account We see the creation of man and woman. And and we need to recognize here, first off, that both man and woman are created equal in dignity. Equal in dignity. We've talked about this quite a bit throughout the years. And and we, we know this, right? Men and women are equal in dignity. Both man and woman are created in God's image. Both man and woman are created in God's image. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are both created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, men and women are both equal in dignity. They are created equal in dignity. Both are to be respected and revered and treated with dignity. So they're, they're the same, Right? they're similar to one another woman came out of man and now man comes out of of woman and so there's the similarity but they are functionally different men and women are functionally different we're not the same we're not the same we're physically we're not the same emotionally we're not the same Right? There's all of these differences between men and women. Men and women are made different. We are equal but different. And it's those differences, it's in those differences that we complement one another. Right? We complement one another. Sugar and salt are similar in texture. You put sugar and salt in your hand and they feel very similar, right? They're, 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 kind of alike but they taste very different they taste very different but you put the two together in a recipe and they complement one another together they make some good stuff some tasty meals now our culture our culture is really trying to strip away all the differences between men and women our culture wants to take away the differences. They want us to be not only equal in dignity, they want us to be equal in every way. They want us to be functionally equal, but the problem is that's not the way God created us. We're not, to be, we're not functionally the same. Men are naturally stronger than women. Men and women are different emotionally. We're different. We're we're different in so many ways. And that's the beauty of God's creation. I mean, if we strip away all the differences between men and women, women, how boring would this world be? It's like wearing khaki pants with a khaki shirt. It's just blah. It's boring. You need some color. Right? You need a red shirt to go with those khaki pants. You, you need some color in your life. Mary Beth is definitely my color, right? She's my color. She has color to, to me. She's my bedazzled color, right? She's my bedazzled red shirt. We're different. And thank God we're different. If I was married to somebody just like me, I would be, it would be a boring couple. Absolutely boring. But praise God, he makes us different. We're functionally different. We we complement one another in our differences. That's God's design. That's God's design. Sexual purity is maintained in the context of a complementary relationship, which means, contrary to our culture, that sexual purity is impossible within a homosexual relationship. Sexual purity is absolutely impossible in a homosexual relationship. I might have just gotten cut off the air on our live stream because in our culture, that is a no-no to say such a thing. But that's a fact. That is a fact. The Apostle Paul certainly understood that the seventh commandment covered both sexual immorality and homosexuality sexual uh, immorality would cover anything and everything under the the sphere of sexual immorality i mean that's not just adultery but that's anything and everything but he also points out homosexuality is part of that in first timothy one chapter one verses nine through ten paul covers five of the ten commandments here and he tells timothy understanding this That the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their father and mother. Thou shalt honor your father and your mother. For murderers, thou shalt not murder. The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, thou shalt not commit adultery enslavers thou shalt not steal liars perjurers thou shalt not bear false witness and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine see paul understood that under this the the commandment of God, thou shalt not commit adultery, everything from sexual immorality in general to homosexuality is covered. Those are are contrary to God's makeup, His, His way of making things and creating things. They're contrary to His plan. They're perversion on how He created us to be. Therefore, sexual purity cannot be maintained in anything but a complementary relationship between one man and one woman. Second, sexual purity is maintained in the context of a covenantal relationship. Sexual purity is maintained in the context of a covenantal relationship. Again, this is completely countercultural. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the first part of verse 24 therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife hold fast to his wife hold fast or if you're reading the king james cleave to i like that cleave to count, that sounds better man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife the hebrew word there means to adhere to one another to adhere to one another now, here a while back, Ken was laying some flooring in, in one of our bathrooms here, and uh, when he was la- he you know prepared the 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 floor there, laid out the plywood, got it ready, and then he put some adherent on top of the plywood, and then on top of that adherent he stuck the tile, the floor tile, and when he adhered those floor tiles to that plywood, that flooring. The, the floor tiles became part of the floor, right? They become one with one another. They adhered to one another. They become one. And, and if you went up there today and tried to move those, remove those floor tiles, you would tear up the rest of the floor because they have adhered to the floor. They are part of the floor now. A covenantal relationship has that kind of adherence a covenantal relationship binds two to one it binds the two to one the two shall become one leave father and mother and cleave to one another adhere to one another we notice here that a covenantal relationship is a prioritized relationship It's leaving and cleaving. There's a leaving behind of other familial relationships. Leave father and mother. You don't forget father and mother, but you leave them, right? You, you're, you're leaving. You're, you're separating yourself from that relationship. And now you're joining yourself in this new relationship. Mama and daddy, they were a priority when you were under their domain, right? When you were under their authority, they were your authority. They were, they were your concern. They were your priority. But when you leave father and mother and you cleave to your spouse... Now the priority has shifted. Now it's no longer, priority is no longer mama and daddy. Now the priority is your wife or your husband, your spouse. They are now your number one priority. You you leave behind mama and father, you leave behind best friend. You leave behind brothers and sisters and you cleave to your spouse. Your spouse is your number one priority under God. Your spouse is even your number one priority over even your children. You hear me? Your children are second to your spouse. That's a covenantal relationship because your children one day hopefully will leave and cleave right to someone else but your spouse is still going to be there that's your number one priority so so here's the priorities in a covenantal relationship a covenantal marriage God because you'll have no other authorities over God God spouse children mother and father and everybody else everybody else is after that so your friend your buddies whoever you're hanging out with they're below all of those god spouse there's a change in priorities that relationship with your spouse becomes your number one priority Furthermore, a covenantal relationship is a binding relationship under God. It is a binding relationship. It's adhering to one another. I mean, think about the wedding vows. The wedding vows say a lot. Two people vow to one another before God to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part until you make that commitment to another person before god and his church you are not ready to enter into a sexual relationship you hear me kids you hear me teenagers in fact outside of a covenantal commitment Sex is rooted in objectification. That's all it is. It's objectification. It's looking at another person not as a person to be loved and committed to, but it's looking at a person as an object to fulfill a fleshly desire. That's all they are. Outside of the covenantal relationship. Until you are ready to adhere to a spouse, you're not ready for sex. Sexual purity is maintained in a complementary and covenantal relationship. Third, sexual purity is maintained in a consummated relationship. It's in a consummated relationship look at the last part of verse 24 and they shall become one flesh they shall become one flesh you see once the covenant covenantal relationship is established through an oath then and only then is it to be consummated consummation is the seal of the covenantal relationship it's the seal of the covenantal relationship you leave and cleave and then become one flesh you consummate the relationship and that is the seal of the covenant between husband and wife you see we need to understand here that sexual intimacy is greater than a physical act understand that sexual intimacy is more than a physical act sex is more than a physical act there is a a physical emotional and and even a spiritual bond that takes place in the sexual act when the two become one don't take that lightly the two will become one flesh. Paul understands this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, he tells us, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If you're in Christ, right? If you've, you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are part of the body of Christ. Christ is in you. You are part of his body shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? He's not just talking about the physical act here. The one who's joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the lord becomes one spirit with him sex is more than fulfilling fleshly desires contrary to popular belief in our culture sex is never ever ever casual it's not a casual thing there's a deep emotional and spiritual bond that takes place in the act of sex And when you share such a connection with multiple partners over time, it takes an emotional and a a spiritual toll on your life. Think about this. So duct tape, right? This is the most adherent tape, I think, in the world. So you take a piece of this duct tape and and you just take a strip of it and, and you take it off and you slap that on your arm and you press it down really hard, right? And, and um, when I was a teenager, I like we like to do this to our buddies, right? We'd slap it on their leg, and and, and all the hair would stick to it. And of course, you got to tear it off. It's got to come off somehow. And so when you tear that tape off, what happens? You lose all the hair on that arm or on that leg. Well, now you take another. You throw this strip away, and you go get you another strip, and you lay it right over the top of that same place, right? And you just tear that off and you you throw that piece away and and you bring another piece in and you just tear that off well the hair went with the first one but now you're taking skin cells and every time you you take and and you apply a new strip of adhesive to your skin you're taking more and more skin cells and and i think if you do that enough time what's going to happen you're going to develop a wound there it's finally going to start bleeding it's at least going to get very very red and and, and it, it's going to be bad right if you do it enough time it can leave a wound there Well, you know that's the same thing that takes place when you have sex with multiple partners every time you you go through that physical act you leave a portion of yourself with that person There's a connection. Their deep emotional bond is made and then you tear that apart and you throw that person away and then you go meet someone else and you make that emotional and physical and and spiritual connection and you tear that connection apart. You throw that person away and then you go to another person and you make that spiritual, emotional, physical connection and you tear that person apart and you throw that person away what happens over time is it begins to leave a wound. An emotional and spiritual wound. Not just physical. I mean, you think about the physical wound. With all the sexual transmitted diseases and things like that out in our world today. There's that physical wound. But there's a spiritual wound. An emotional wound. That is made with each time. A connection, a bond is made when the two become one flesh and you tear that bond apart. Casual sex is just like that. It will leave you wounded and broken. Contrary to what being taught In our culture, sex outside of marriage is not a healthy thing. In fact, it is damaging. It is absolutely damaging. But, hear me now, sexual intimacy within marriage is a gracious gift from God. It is a wonderful and gracious gift from God. It actually builds intimacy between husband and wife. It builds that intimacy between husband and wife. That's what God designed sex to do. The two become one flesh. They become one with one another. There's a deep, physical, emotional, spiritual connection that is made. And you're not tearing that bond apart, but you're keeping that bond together. And a relationship can grow deeper when that sexual intimacy is experienced within the bonds of marriage so it builds intimacy between husband and wife when the two become one flesh but it also fights against temptation paul tells us this 1 corinthians chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 the husband should not should excuse me the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband sexual desire is a natural thing it's a natural occurrence and it's good and right within a marriage relationship within that context of sexual purity but again satan he likes to take that and he likes to use that not as a way to build intimacy with your your spouse but as a way to tempt you and lead you into adultery And so when sexual intimacy is enjoyed and confined to the marriage relationship, then it can be beneficial in growing the marriage, deepening the marriage, and fighting off Satan's temptations. It is a wonderful and glorious gift. Sexual desire can be satisfied within the context of marriage sexual purity is maintained within a contemporary or excuse me a complementary covenantal and consummated relationship fourth sexual purity is maintained in a confessional relationship a confessional relationship now let me be clear here we need to make sure we understand by confessional relationship i don't mean confessing sins in in this regard i just Needed another C, right? So, uh, confessional relationship. I mean, a relationship that confesses the gospel of Jesus Christ. A relationship that confesses the gospel of Jesus Christ as it reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. This confessional aspect is brought out in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 love this text wives submit to your husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, you are called to love your wives even as Christ loved the church. To give yourself to your wife. To sacrifice, to provide for your wife. To be the head of the household. To lead your wife In spiritual maturity, right? To lead her in her relationship with the Lord. That's your responsibility. It's not your wife's responsibility to get on you and get you to church every Sunday. It's your responsibility to say, all right, family, let's go. It's time to go to church. Let's get up. Let's go. That's your responsibility. You're to to lead your family in that. You're to love your wife and, and help her in her walk with the Lord. So that you can present her wholly unto the Lord. Giving her every advantage that she might grow in her relationship with Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. You're to lead your wife and love your wife even as Christ loves his church. And wives are to respect their husbands. Wives, you're to respect your husband. To submit to his leadership as he leads you in the Lord to submit to him and to respect his leadership help him be a better leader in the household you're a helpmate you're to give him that that help and 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 help him as he leads wives respect your husbands as they lead you in the lord marriage is supposed to be a a living illustration of the gospel is to be a living illustration of the gospel now illustrations are never perfect are they they're they're always a little off and so marriage will never be a perfect in this life in this world marriage will never be a perfect illustration of the love of Christ to his church but it ought to reflect it right people ought to be able to look at it and see some resemblance there and let me just tell you here's a little extra added bonus here it's been discovered that women, more than men, need to experience love. They need to know that they're loved by their husbands. Men, we're not made that way. Here again is that, that kind of complementary relationship. Men aren't made that way. We, it's all right if you love us, but we, more than your love, we need your respect. Men need to be respected. And so God designed us. Men, give your wives what they need. They need love. Love them. Care for them. Show them your love. And when you show them your love, they will return that with respect. They will return that with respect. So husbands and wives are to be joined together in this kind of relationship, a confessional relationship, a relationship that reflects the love of jesus christ for his church sexual purity is maintained in a marital relation uh, maintaining them yes a marital relationship that is complementary, covenantal consummated and confessional confessing the love of jesus christ to his precious church respect human dignity by maintaining sexual purity respect human dignity by maintaining sexual purity now let me talk to three kinds of people who are listening today first there are the tempted the tempted all of us fall into this category all of us struggle with sin whether of a sexual nature or something else all of us struggle with sin we all struggle with temptation and i want you to know that you can find strength in jesus christ you can find strength in jesus christ we all experience temptation james chapter one verses 14 through 15 but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin then when it is fully grown brings forth death the temptation to sin is not sin it's following that temptation into sin that's the sin jesus i want you to know jesus understands your temptation hebrews chapter 2 verses 17 through 18 therefore he had to be made jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted jesus was tempted he suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted jesus will give you strength to endure and he will give you a way of escape when you are tempted first corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But when the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's to the tempted, now to the brokenhearted. You have heard this message and have come to a place of conviction. You've come under conviction because you know you're living in sin. You know you need to to turn course and change your way so what do you do romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 2 therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of spirit the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death there is no condemnation in christ jesus Outside of Christ Jesus, you are condemned. Outside of Christ Jesus, you are under judgment. But under Jesus, in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any condemnation. John 1, 1 1 John 1, chapters 8 through 9. If you say we have no sin, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, if you're under conviction today, if you're brokenhearted because you know you're living in sin, repent, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. He will save you. He will forgive you. There is no condemnation in him third i want to speak to the hard-hearted there are some who have listened and you're thinking to yourself that's just archaic that's just an outdated way of thinking nobody thinks like that anymore listen to the warning of scripture james chapter 1 verse 17 every good and perfect gift is from above even sex is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. Our culture says that's an archaic way of thinking. God says, I've not changed. My way of thinking hasn't changed one bit. What I told the Israelites 10,000 years ago, it stands today. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt live in sexual purity if you're a child of mine? Romans two, four through five, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? He's been kind to you. He's been generous. Passing over your sins so that it might lead you to, to repentance. But because of your heart, and impotent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Quit sowing to corruption. Quit following the way of this world. Quit following your own way Turn to Jesus. In Him there's forgiveness. In Him there's salvation. In Him there is eternal life. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. We thank you for each commandment that you give us. Because, Lord, we know that you give each commandment for our good and your glory lord let us not be sold the bill of goods that this world this corrupted world is trying to sell us but lord let us conform to your way when it comes to sexual intimacy let us conform to your way let us live in sexual purity by engaging in and confining to sexual intimacy to the covenant of marriage just as you have designed it to be oh lord if there's those today who have listened in and lord they're they're the ones who have either come under conviction or or they have hardened their hearts oh lord Open their eyes to see. Let them see Jesus. Let them turn to Jesus. Let them find forgiveness and salvation in Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.